This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And this is Father Joseph Anthony Crest. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Joseph Anthony, how are Howdy. you? How are you doing? Oh, we're doing great. Doing we're doing things and just uh yeah, living living life and and doing big things. So um yeah just excited to be able to continue our discussion on the eucharist as we continue um our kind of deep dive and focus on that um i'm a, i don't know if you know this about me uh i think you probably guessed this but i'm a big fan of the eucharist and so the opportunity mm. to talk about it is yeah I, i'm appreciative of that but happy and excited to dive into it that's that's great uh <laughs> he uh, so we um if, if you're just tuning in to this Sunday's episode and haven't for the last few weeks, as Father Joseph Anthony mentioned, we're doing a series of episodes on these Sundays of Easter on the Eucharist um, and in, in anticipation of the U.S. Bishop's Eucharistic National Eucharistic Revival that's going to launch at the Feast of Corpus Christi, at the Feast of the Body and Blood of Our Lord. Um, at the end of the Easter season or just after the Easter season ends. So we thought um, in as, as the bishops here are folk in this country are focusing on uh, our uh, our relationship and knowledge of the Eucharist and with the Eucharist um, that we would we would dive into that as well. So we've had a few episodes already. Uh, you can go back and listen to those for sure. We had one on renewal, doctrine, change. And this week's episode is on the liturgy and the Eucharist. Um, we'll have two more after this on devotion and union to kind of round out um, some basics on the Eucharist to help, uh, I don't know, I was going to say our appreciation of, that sounds like a kind of weird way to put it, but at least it's a way like, to talk about. Yeah, it's not like an appreciation society, I guess, and, and like, you know, national recognition awards or anything, but yeah, helping us to, I guess, better receive the Eucharist and in, in draw into union with our Lord through the Eucharist, maybe. Yeah, there you go. And appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate, appreciate him. it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk, <laughs> let's talk then about the Eucharist and, and uh, the liturgy. And I guess maybe it's worth kind of because, you know, this is just one episode and mm -hmm. not, you know, it's not like a class, a semester long course on the Eucharist. It's helpful to have kind of brackets on what we're going to talk about. Um, I think when we talk about the liturgy, we're going to focus specifically on the mass. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in perhaps in the next episode on devotion, we'll talk about um, a few other sort of liturgical kind of ways that we engage with the Eucharist or spend time with Christ in the Eucharist. I think the other foremost um, liturgical kind of moment with the Eucharist is is adoration and holy hour with the rites of benediction, exposition, exposition and benediction. But for today, we're just going to really kind of hone in on the Eucharist and the mass and the liturgy of the mass. And um, so I think by by way of starting, we can start by talking about like the relationship between the mass and the yeah. Eucharist. And um, yeah, often. So if we think of the seven sacraments, the mass is not one of the seven sacraments, right? It's the Eucharist. That is yeah. one of the seven sacraments. So we don't talk about making our going to our first mass as receiving the sacrament, but you know, receiving our first Holy Communion. So I think that's pretty obvious. But for um, I think for all of us, most of the time, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, we receive the Eucharist and interact with the Eucharist 
in the context of the, the liturgy, most especially the context of of mass. And mm -hmm. we could attribute a whole host of reasons as to why these things, the Eucharist and the mass, you know, why we just don't go to a chapel to receive communion, but we do so in the context of, of the mass. Um, we can talk about uh, a whole host of, of reasons for this, but perhaps one just to start is, is that our Lord first gave the Eucharist in the context of not a mass as we have it today, but in the context of the 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 Last Supper at Holy Thursday, mm -hmm. um, we could see that there and, and the reception of communion. So I'm not saying that what happened in the upper room on Holy Thursday is what we experience either in the Novus Order or in the Tridentine form or any other form. That's that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that in that the reception of the Eucharist comes from a long tradition of of temple and Israelite and Jewish sacrifices mm -hmm. um, that is made new in the new covenant of Christ. Um, that's given to us even in the Last Supper in the context of ritual. We could see it from the Passover Supper that's then made and transformed as Christ gives us the Eucharist in the Last Supper, that then out of that and from the scriptures and the tradition of our faith, we, we get the Mass. So even at the beginning of the, the first time that the Eucharist is confected and distributed, the first time to the apostles, was to the apostles, we have this context of ritual. Now we could talk about, I think, why this ritual surrounds this liturgical ritual surrounds you know quite literally the our reception of the eucharist there's stuff that happens before there's stuff and that happens after happens. so we could say surrounds the the context of the liturgy so father joseph anthony like let's talk about some reasons as to why there's a liturgical life that surrounds our eucharistic worship and devotion and reception and all of those things well I think the, you brought up a really important point that like our ordinary engagement with the Eucharist is in a liturgical setting. Like, can we, is there opportunities to receive the Eucharist in extraordinary, extra liturgical uh, settings? Yeah. Um, but the ordinary, the, the proper kind of fullness of it is within where you said, I, I love how you're like, it surrounds it. It's enveloped within ritual. It's enveloped within liturgy. And um, the reason why is because we're human. Like we, we need these kind of um, physical expressions as a way of preparing our interior uh, dispositions to receive this Eucharist, to receive the body and blood of our Lord. And so these um, liturgical rites are structured in such a way, uh, written in such a way, in, instructed or given to us in such a way as to assist our preparation um to receive the eucharist in the totality of it in the body and blood soul and divinity of our lord and it's done in that way um precisely in these kind of exterior rites and gestures or words or um you know we see different symbols or materials that are used whether it's a golden chalice or the candles that are lit that these things are done in such a way as to help and communicate via our senses a certain knowledge of a um, spiritual reality there and help to instruct us to the reality that's present in the Eucharist. And so there's a lot of ritual because it's a very, uh, you know, beautiful and deep reality that can uh, be expressed in many facets. So the music that is sung and the vestments that are worn and all of these things are helping uh, all the, and kind of highlight the different facets of this uh, beautiful gem, if you want to call it that way, of, of what is the Eucharist. 
and that all is there because we as human beings are body and soul and we are we communicate in in human ways not just angelic ways and so liturgy is structured in such a way to address our humanity and prepare it to receive the divinity of the lord jesus in the eucharist yeah, the, the whole of who we are as human beings is, is ordered to the worship of God. You know, we're made to know and love God. And mm -hmm. knowledge and love of God is that, that the way we relate to God is, you know, in that relationship is through worship, through adoration, through yeah. sacrifice, you know, and all that comes alive as Father Joseph Anthony was explaining during, during the Mass. In the episode on, we had a couple of weeks ago on the doctrine of the Eucharist, um, you can tune into that if you want to get a little more uh, clarification on some of these points. We talked about the reality of the sacramental reality of of um, the, the 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 Eucharist being containing matter and form, bread and wine, the thing that's there, and then the words that the priest says. And then we also talked about, as Father Joseph Anthony was saying, this hylomorphic reality of humanity of humanity that as human beings we're body and soul. So um, we re we relate to even the spiritual world through the material world. Yeah. So this is why the sacraments have a material component in the Eucharist being the bread and wine, because we more easily relate to that. But those material things, the sacraments are signs of grace. Um, they point us to the spiritual reality. The important thing, as Father Joseph Anthony is saying, is that even in our liturgical worship, not just in like the, the, the sacrament, the Eucharist itself, that, that, the, that our liturgical worship and our liturgical preparation to receive the sacrament encompasses that reality that we're body and soul. So this is why like at mass, um, you know, we're standing, we're kneeling there. Oh, yeah. What we talk about sometimes like the smells and bells, right? So you have the incense, the bells, the music, the stained glass windows. This is why churches ought to be built in a particular way because all of it, we talk about this sort of grace being dispositive. It disposes us and makes us ready. All of these pieces are important. Important. This is why as Father Joseph was saying, the vestments are important. The, the, the sort of setting of the sanctuary is important. All of these sort of things. So um, it prepares us to receive the Eucharist, to receive Christ in the Eucharist. And this is why the liturgy, or this is the role of the liturgy, that it helps to get us ready. So if we think about the Mass then, or what happens during the liturgy, um, there are a lot of different parts, and you could sort of atomize the liturgy into... Yeah you know, almost every couple of lines that the priest or the congregation says, or, or this or that action, you know, and look at the historical significance. It, it, there's a <laughs> lot. Stuff's exciting. Don't need to do like, I'm, I'm a nerd. I'm a geek. I love doing that kind of stuff. Well, I you're a Dominican. So that's, that's, also that's true. why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but, I but mean, we're going to look at a few, we'll look at a few kind of pieces, I think of, of that. And, uh, you know, at, to sort of look at, okay, well, this is why the liturgy, um, works as it was as it were in the way that it does so father joseph Anthony, lead us lead us into that as we as we go into it i think it's really important though to have a, a, a an understanding though that the eucharist is consistent it's always jesus it, it's jesus through and through every single time um but there is a certain diversity and variety within the liturgy right you have eastern liturgies you have the byzantine liturgy you have the the roman liturgy and and it's uh that's two expressions and so like there's a beautiful you can't have a certain level of diversity in that while the eucharist is consistent it's always jesus in the midst of that and so as we are diving into these different elements of the liturgy um, that it's important to to see how, as you were talking about, they begin to dispose us to receiving the the consistent and the kind of perennial 
um, presence of our Lord Jesus, even as certain liturgical um, rites vary, right? And this is where, like, I love the Catholic Church because it has that kind of level of diversity while still having a, a, a level of unity uh, and consistency through, that runs through all of that. Um, so I think that's important to remember as we're going into it. Now, granted, we are Dominicans. We uh, are in the Western Church, and so we're going to be very uh, clearly talking about uh, the Latin rites of, of the church's liturgical life. But something you mentioned earlier as we were jumping off is that like, it's actually the sacrament of the Eucharist, um, which is the consistent perennial sacrament in, in all of that, even as the liturgical rites uh, differ and vary from um, you know, location to location or, or time to time. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. It is an important thing to recognize that it's, it's not just one kind of way. Like the sacrament is, is not the liturgy. Um, but the liturgy serves the sacrament. Oh, so, dude, slap that on bumper stickers right there. I love. I don't that. even remember what I said, but it's but it was beautiful. Recorded, so all. we can go back <laughs> and listen to it. Um, yeah, I was, that was just sort of a prophetic moment, I guess. I, I wasn't, you know, whatever. Preach it, okay, preach let's. It. Mm, okay. Mm. All right. Mm. So to the liturgy then. So if we think about what's happening in the liturgy, we can identify at least briefly. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know what like six ish, six, seven kind of points that we can touch on real quick to talk about uh, the, the the sort of dispositive reality of why this, mm -hmm. why the Eucharist in the context of liturgy. So the first, like the opening rites of the mass, um, perhaps are, are what are highlighted by what we call the penitential rite, right? So you have the entrance, you have the, the either the entrance hymn or the entrance antiphon, perhaps the insensation of the altar and the priest gets to the chair, makes the sign of the cross and then says a few things and then pray brother. And nope, that's the wrong prayer. Uh, then totally the wrong prayer. let us, yeah, I'm thinking way ahead. Uh, see, this is why I'm a priest. You know, you get in the rhythm. It's amazing. You get, Dude, in the rhythm I got, I got a missile right here. We can just read from. Yep. Okay. And then we don't need to read from a missile. Mm -hmm. And then the priest, yep, I'm positive. Then the priest invites us to recall our sins. Um, this is before we sing the Kyrie. And inviting, and this is what we call the penitential rite, as you well know. Um, why do we do this? Well, because we need to be in a place, um, in, in a place of penitence, of forgiveness, of receiving God's mercy to be prepared to receive the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ. So we do so. We call to mind yeah. our sins and we beg God's mercy um, by confessing our sins, uh, at least like corporately, you know, individually, but together as the church, um, and then begging God's mercy through the reciting or the singing of the Kyrie of the Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. But we can see even in the first moments of the church's liturgy, there's uh, a preparation for something. And this mm -hmm. is, I, we've talked about this on different episodes with the sacraments. I know we've talked about this on, in this sort of Eucharist series, um, that the sacraments are essential. The Eucharist is unique here, but the sacraments and what we do, they lead us to relationship with Christ, right? So like we go to confession, why? To for, for forgiveness of sins, but for mm -hmm. what? So as to be in relationship with Christ. We're baptized, why? To be forgiven of original sin, to receive the virtues, to receive grace, but for what? To be in relationship with Christ. We have the penitential right at the beginning of mass to beg God's mercy, right? But for what? To be prepared, to be disposed, to receive Christ in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. So we have this whole kind of 
we call it like the sacramental economy. This not like financial economy, but like this workings of interactions of how the sacraments and how grace works to prepare us to receive the Eucharist. So we have the penitential rite, um, but the penitential rite is followed by what the liturgy, the collect, what we call and the, then the collect, yeah, the prayer, and then the liturgy of the word. Well, um, this is there, there's something really beautiful when you look at the structure of the mass, and I'm I'm using a structure from Pius Parsh, um, a early 20th century liturgist, um, and he breaks down the liturgy of the word, which is from the very beginning all the way up through um, the homily, basically, but he breaks down that entire sh like block of the liturgy into two parts. He says the beginning part is the service of prayer where all this activity and it's the opening, uh, the penitential, rite, The Gloria, all of this is what he calls the service of prayer, which is basically man speaking to God. It's, it's a lot of words, but it's us asking for the forgiveness of God. It's us asking for the forgiveness of each other. It's us glorifying God, asking for his mercy in the Kyrie, and then offering all of that in the opening prayer. And it's our direction, our addressing of God. And then after that, right, we, we sit down and then we go into the kind of scriptural readings and um, he can, he talks about how that part of the liturgy of the word is like a service of instruction or a service of learning. And now it's God speaking to us through the um, proclamation of the word of God, proclamation of sacred scripture. And so you see this like beautiful dynamic of us approaching God, like asking for forgiveness. And then he speaks back to us in the proclamation of, um, of sacred scripture. And there, there's a really beautiful like um, opportunity for us then to be disposed and be instructed by the word of God. And so it's not just like to sit down and be a spectator. This is one of the things I absolutely hate is I think um, we approach mass sometimes as spectators. It's like we go to any other spectator event, sporting event, or whatever. Um, but when we sit down for the readings, like that's so that we can meditate on the word of God and allow the Lord to instruct us through his prophets and through the liturgical proclamation of um, scripture. So like I, I think it's important to kind of break down those two things to see how they're both active preparations in leading us closer to receiving the Eucharist in, uh, in the reception of communion. Yeah. And following that once what sort of divides, we could say the liturgy of the word, this instruction, this preparation that father Joseph Anthony is describing, and that leads us to sort of bridges into what we call the liturgy of the Eucharist. Simply what's a good way to identify that is what's happening at the altar. So the kind mm -hmm. of liturgical focus moves from the pulpit to the altar is there is our praying of the creed. Um, I don't like when people say this is a pet peeve of mine. I don't like when people say like reciting the creed or saying the creed um, or or anything of that kind of say saying reciting within the mass because the mass is a prayer. We pray and we worship God in the mass. We don't recite things. So praying the creed when we pray the creed together, um, it's a profession of faith. It's a prayer. So, um, but this in one way it does two things as acting as a sort of bridge in, yeah. in praying the creed after. Uh, after hearing the readings in the homily, we assent to what was just heard. Yeah. You know, I believe yeah. in what all that was just heard, but also that belief, that act of faith prepares us yet again to receive the Eucharist. So we, we pronounce our faith, and then we, in that, we're making that act of faith. We are then turn our attention is turned to what is happening at the altar. So we often kind of stand and just kind of recite or read from the card, the creed, in the pews. Um, 
but it should be looked at as a sort of like now we're moving to the altar to the sacrifice and i think that word sticks out in my mind um, because we've talked about worship and adoration but also sacrifice the mass is ultimately a sacrifice a representation of christ's sacrifice on the cross he sacrifices his his body and gives that to us one of the ways this stands out in in the mass is at the preparation of of the altar when the gifts the bread and wine are prepared um so they're offered to the father right the priest offers them to god um asks for god's blessing and then invites the people to offer their own sacrifice their own intentions to unite their own intentions of sacrifice with his at the altar so when he says when when you all stand up in the pews and the priest at, as the priest says pray brothers and sisters or pray brethren that my sacrifice and yours may be accepted uh may be acceptable to the lord our god um he's inviting this union that's another episode in this series uh, this union of Christ's body to join around this sacrifice that this most acceptable, this most perfect sacrifice that is about to happen, this representation, representation um, on the altar of, of the last supper of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's such a key moment in the liturgy. And I think it gets overlooked because it's like, Oh, we're standing at this time and we say all these things by rote, but it's, it's such a beautiful moment because the priest offers is addressing or makes acknowledgement of multiple sacrifices, right? Pray brethren that my sacrifice and yours. So there's multiple sacrifices. And then the response of the people are, may the Lord accept the sacrifice. There's, there's one. So it's the people uh, that unite all of these sacrifices into the one sacrifice that's now at the priest's hand. So it's like this kind of beautiful action of the people of God saying, okay, we've given all of our sacrifices. We're united in it to what's immediately at your hands. And you got this father, like it's all at you. It's all on you now. Um, there's this beautiful union and kind of handing over to the priest and then entrusting the priest to then offer that to the father. Um, and I, I think those are kind of subtleties can get overlooked because we just say these things by rote and we just follow along in, in so many ways. But that's a really important moment in movement that it's this is a true sacrifice, but it's this deep union um, from the people bringing their own sacrifices intentions and then entrusting them to the priest to then continue on through the rest of the mass, offering that sacrifice to the father. Yeah, and it's that sacrifice that sort of culminates, right? We've talked about the Eucharist, not in this episode, but we will now as being the summit, the source and summit of our faith. And this, this summit is sort of the the culmination here in the liturgy right we've mm -hmm. had we've had the penitential right we'd have the liturgy of the word the creed the preparation um other things that we haven't talked about that are smattered throughout and now we have the consecration where the bread and wine become the body and blood of christ this is where we are fed where we encounter christ directly in his body blood soul and divinity um, as the source and the summit of our life um, what happens in those moments, we're not going to spend a ton of time on. We're, we're pushing you to other God-splaining episodes on the doctrine and the change. Those are the two preceding episodes. If you've been tuning in, if you haven't, check them out. Um, but to talk about what happens in that change, uh, that is called transubstantiation. That's the sort of technical term for what happens, but also what the church teaches and believes and understands is happening. Um, uh, there, you can check out the doctrine episode, but it's that moment. That's really, we can't like, it can't be emphasized or overstated enough, or it can't be emphasized enough or overstated that those few brief moments mm -hmm. are, you know, that's, that's the bedrock of our faith. That's, that's, that's what it is. It's, it's the, you know, Christ's sacrifice made new, not 
new in the sense that it wasn't it didn't exist before but made uh, new it as represented for us mm-hmm. for those of us for, for us for those whom christ loves for those whom christ died um, so that we could receive him so that we could live with him so that consecration we've, we've been prepared for it god willing by these graces to to receive him but the reality is is that our christian life and the liturgy doesn't just end in the moment of consecration um, but continues. So we have the reception of communion and we'll talk about that, but also it, the reception of communion moves us to be disciples, right? To be sent out into the world. Um, so we can talk about those two things briefly. Um, yeah. Our reception of communion and our sending of the, the relationship between them. And, and I think this, the reception of communion is drawn upon once again, it liturgy is, um, kind of enveloping the Eucharist in this sense, and the ritual is enveloping the Eucharist, but it's a sacrificial meal. And this is so beautiful and important that it's a sacrificial meal. So when we receive the Eucharist, we're participating in that sacrificial meal. It's not just destruction, right? I think often we think of just like sacrifices, like the elimination or destruction or um, yeah, of different things to sacrifices to destroy something and to eliminate it from our lives. But this is not the case when we approach the mass. It's a sacrificial meal. So when the sacrifice has taken place, then we partake in that by our um, are, are consuming it in the in the con- or in the reception of communion and following the fact that this is a, a sacrificial meal. And so now we participate in that depth of union. Uh, the church fathers always talk about like Eucharist is unique because in most other natural food, the food it becomes assimilated to the one who consumes it. But in the Eucharist, it's a supernatural food. So it's the one who consumes it that it becomes assimilated to the food. So we become Jesus. We become united to him in the reception of the Eucharist. And because it's, it's a, it's a spiritual food and it's the bread of angels. And so this is what it, it acts differently with humanity uh, than other natural food stuff. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's through the community through, as you were saying, through not the community, through community, through the reception of communion that we become what we eat. You know, yeah. we, we become Christ-like we're divinized. We're made to be like God's through the reception of communion, through receiving the body and blood, soul and divinity of Christ. And because of that, we're, we're sent then, right? Yeah. We're sent. The, the reality of the Christian life, the reality of charity is that it's, it's not something that's contained, but something that overflows, that abounds, that, that, that is, that is, and that we could say like contagious in the best sort of ways. And this is why at the end of mass, we're, we're sent, you know, it's not just like, see you later, but it's, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, there's a blessing, there's a prayer, there's the blessing, and then there's the go in peace or go forth. The mass is ended. Um, you know, we're, we're sent to then live our Christian life in the world to witness to the truth of the gospel in in the world um, in, yeah. in a way that's not just contained by the four walls of, of the church that we're in. I mean, this is, this is why, you know, going to mass is a communal event, right? We're talking about how at the very beginning, we uh, said the penitential, right? The confidior, and we confess our sins to each other and to God. And we ask for the prayers of each other in, in that sense. But we also receive communion and then we're sent out into the world. And this is why communion has a very... Um, communal uh aspect to it it's not just this individual um you know 
individual with God relationship type of thing, but it has this kind of fragrance to it. You said it's contagious. I mean, we're just coming out of COVID, so maybe that's a little too harsh of a word to use right now. But uh, it, maybe it's 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 something that is very fragrant and is supposed to be experienced by others around us. And so when we receive communion, we are assimilated to Christ. That is supposed to be able to be recognized by those that we encounter. And so as we go forth, as we are sent forth into the world, it's to have this impact on us so that others recognize there's something different here. This person is living differently than the rest of fallen humanity. And that's because they've been divinized, they've received the Lord of heaven and earth, and they've been deeply united to him. So there's something unique and different here. And it's not a very individualistic experience. I think we can rightly say that the Eucharist is a very communal experience. Um, and we can talk, we'll, we'll talk about the, the source of unity there uh, in, in different episodes, but there's this communal um, understanding with the Eucharist in that way. Yeah. So in our last minute or two together, I, I think it's worth pointing, pointing out the reality that um, the Eucharist is not something that, as we've said in different ways and throughout the episode, is not something that exists just as a sort of isolated um, reality or something that we do in a sort of individualistic way or something that kind of exists in a vacuum, but exists in the context of worship of liturgy, of adoration. Um, and the church in her wisdom leads us in that, leads us through that, leads us, we could say, actually, perhaps most rightly into that, into that worship, into that prayer, into that union with, with God through the liturgical rites, through the mass, so as to be with and receive Christ in the Eucharist well, to be disposed mm -hmm. to that. And because that's the case, uh, we we also really need to be careful in our own lives and in our own spiritual lives and our own practice of the faith that the liturgy isn't just a sort of one hour deal in our lives, but that we live a life that's oriented to uh, to the liturgy. We could even say it like a liturgical life. Yeah. We see this perhaps especially in the season that we've just come out of of Lent. You know, Lent shapes our our kind of living for forty days in a way that perhaps the rest of the year doesn't, but the liturgical calendar certainly does. You know, we, we're in the season of Easter right now with Pentecost coming and some great feasts of Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi and the Most Holy Trinity. Um, we have Advent that prepares us for Christmas and then the Christmas season, um, but also like during the week, each week we ought to be sort of um, aimed at oriented to our Sundays. You know that Sunday is the Lord's Day, and mm -hmm. we ought to take mm -hmm. time to. Um, right, have rest on the Sabbath with family and friends and that sort of that, that sort of thing, but also and because it's oriented to disposing us to uh, the Eucharist, that is the bedrock, the source and summit, as the church teaches of our of our faith. So it might be easy to sort of like budget liturgical our liturgical life to an hour on Sundays, or if we go to mass more frequently, you know, the thirty minutes in the morning. But really, the reality is that that ought to shape our whole lives, because um, it ought to give, you know, shape to the week, to the year, but also to to what we do each day in our in our, in our prayer and in our relationship with with Christ. So Father Joseph Anthony, any final thoughts on the Eucharist and the liturgy and the mass as we as we come to it come to an end here? Honestly, I'm, I'm going to shut my mouth on this, which is a surprise. I think he did a phenomenal job of kind of like wrapping oh, it you. all together. Uh, like I I don't want to take away any of that. Um, I so well, I much appreciate. I support everything that you just said right there. I thought it was fantastic. Thanks. 
Perfect. All right. Well, thanks again to all of our supporters. If you'd like to help out with the work of Godsplaining, check us out at patreon.com slash Godsplaining. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. We're grateful for all of that. Visit godsplaining.org to check out our merchandise and to get dates and information for our upcoming Godsplaining events. As we've been advertising, we have three retreats coming up in two in July and one in August. And one of those is on the Eucharist. So if you'd like to have more time thinking and talking about the Eucharist, check that out. Spots are filling up though. So so get to the get to our events page uh, sooner than later if you'd like to come. Also, Father Gregory Pine's new book on prudence uh, just launched. So if you're looking to, to read something that Father Gregory, rather than just listening to him, if you're looking to read something that he's written recently, check that out too. Um, and as always, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us. And until next time, God bless.